Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Hi, you guys, and welcome to the I Believe podcast. We have a special episode in store for you guys today, and it's actually going to be two parts. Uh, I have a couple of different panels of patients who are willing to talk a little bit more in depth about enucleation and some of the things you might expect, some of the things that were confusing or that people like here wish that they had known going into an enucleation. Uh, so for those of you who are looking into enucleation as an option or who are considering it or who just have to have it because it's your only treatment option, I hope you guys will tune in and listen and share this with anyone else that you know who is going to be experiencing enucleation. So just to kind of walk you through how this panel is going to work, um, I am the host, so I will be asking questions um, to our different patients who are here. And I'm also for this panel going to be taking part in some of those questions. What we're going to do is we're going to go in alphabetical order. And so I have on the call with me today, I have Allison Benjamin uh, and I have Clay Butler, and then myself, Danae Peterson, and Wendy Carpenter. So anytime you hear us talking in different orders, that's who's going first. It's Allison, then Clay, then myself, Danae, and then Wendy. Um, so thank you guys all for joining me. Uh, Allison, do you want to kick it off and just explain you know, where you're from? Briefly tell your diagnosis story and why you chose a nucleation. Yeah, sure. As you can tell, I'm not American. <laughs> I'm from the UK, from a place called Southend in Essex. Um, I got diagnosed with ocular melanoma um, a week before Christmas 2021 and it basically happened very, very quickly. Um, in England, the system for cancer patients is amazing. From diagnosis to nucleation was roughly six weeks. Um, obviously, with the Christmas holidays in between, nothing could be done then. Um, I had to, I was given the option, I was given two options. First option um, was proton beam therapy, which apparently they have an amazing unit up in Liverpool, the only place in the country where you can have it done. Or they, the, the consultant said to me, it was better for me and because of the size of the tumour to have enucleation. Well, as you can imagine, I couldn't take this in. I had the worst Christmas of my life. Um, and all I could think about was having this done. And I was, at first, going to go with proton beam therapy. My family basically said to me, you don't know how it's going to be. Six months down the line, the tumour could have grown and everything. So I went with enucleation. And the 1st of February this year will be one year since I've had it done. And I have to say, I'm glad I had it done because I think I would have still been worried about the tumour getting bigger. So, oh, for sure. yeah, I, I, am, I am glad I had it done. Well, thank you. All right, Clay, you're up. Okay, I'm from Santa Cruz, California. I noticed my left vision was really wonky, warping, color cast issues, some blurriness, very strange stuff like funhouse mirror. So I went to urgent care on New Year's Eve 2021, and I just saw a regular doctor said, you need to see the ophthalmologist. She's on call. 
gotta keep in mind this is New Year's Eve, so basically all, all the services are closed at the hospital. So I got called in around 11.20. The ophthalmologist dilated my eye and looked and gave me a very thorough, intense examination in silence. And she, I said, hey, is everything okay? And she said, shh, no talking. So I knew something was up. She goes, here's the deal. You have a retinal detachment. That is emergency surgery because you could go blind. I was actually relieved because I had a diagnosis. Right? So she goes, I'll be back in a minute. She comes back five minutes later and she goes, you're going to see Dr. Chen over in Campbell. That's over the hill into Silicon Valley. It's like 45 minutes away. You need to be there in two hours because you need surgery. So great. I go there. Once again, he opened up the whole clinic. He was the only person there. My eyes already dilated, so we get right down to the uh, to the examination. Looks at my eyes, and he rolls back in his chair, and he goes, "Okay, here's the deal. You do have a retinal detachment, but that's not the problem." And I'm like, "Oh boy, <laughs> what comes next is definitely worse, right?" Um, and he goes, "Not 100% positive." But this looks a lot like ocular melanoma. You have a big growth in your eye. That's causing the retinal detachment. The fluid, be, the, the fluid leaking out is causing the retinal detachment. So we can't fix the retinal detachment. You have to fix the tumor. He goes, it's not your fault. We don't know what causes it. Come back into my office when everyone's here, and we can definitely diagnose this, but I'm pretty sure that's what you had. So, okay. So I'm coming back home now. So I start off with, hey, doc, at urgent care, I can't see, to coming home with a most likely cancer diagnosis that afternoon. It's a very interesting drive. Um, oh, one thing. The first thing that came out of my mouth when my retinal specialist said, you have a tumor in your eye and I think it's cancer, I said, uh, hey, if we have to take it out, I'm fine. So I was already there, right? So I got my eye removed on February 22nd because of the size, the location, the retinal detachment. My eye was not worth saving. I would never have what I would consider acceptable vision. So let's take the eye and the tumor out, clean break, get on with my life. I did not want to babysit a diseased eye from radiation. Okay. Well, thank you. All right, Wendy. Um, I actually, I forgot. I'm, I'm in there too. <laughs> Hold on, Wendy. Okay. So, um, I was originally diagnosed July, 2020, and I ended up having brachytherapy because unlike clay, I was not able to make that decision. Um, I probably in retrospect would have gone back and selected a nucleation to begin with had I were able to go back and do it again, um, because of what has ended up happening in the later years. Uh, but at the time I didn't feel like I could make that call. And I was terrified of the idea of not having my own eye. And I also had a, a surgeon who was confident that we had at least a small chance, maybe a very small chance, but we had a small chance that we could save my vision because my, my tumor was located in the very front nasal corner of my eye. And so I had brachytherapy. It was hell. I hated it. Like, but I went through it and made it out. Um, and then, you know, the next six months after that, the eye started out looking like crap. And then it looked a lot better. Um, I unfortunately did not retain any vision and, and I, I kind of, I, I can sense, or I, I can relate to what Allison said about, you know, having that anxiety and that worry about the tumor, because that was my life. 
um, for the last two and a half years has been constantly, you know, going in every three months. Thankfully, I didn't have any pressure shots like many people with brachytherapy. Uh, I didn't have that eye pressure. I didn't have any horrible side effects other than that I was blind and my eye kind of looked junky. Um, but I still had to see my doctor every three months and I still had to go in for those scans and be worried about, like you said, is the tumor going to grow again? Um, I had heard from people like Wendy that that's very rare for it to happen, but it also was still like a constant terror, I think in, in my brain. Um, uh, March, 2021, I actually almost had it enucleated just because I was like, I can't, I can't handle the angst. Like I can't do this. And it was also because my tumor hadn't shrunk. It was just frozen. And so that was anxiety ridden. It was just this idea that like, okay, it's been treated. It's supposed to be getting smaller. It was really, really big. Like, why is it not smaller? And so uh, I ended up meeting with the enucleation surgeon who would ironically be the one to do my enucleation like a little while later. Um, and then I backed out and I wasn't going to do it because then we found out the tumor was shrinking and I'm like, all right, it's fine. Uh, fast forward to now and in March or no, yeah, March of 2022, I had a giant cataract develop, or maybe it was 2021. I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere in the period of time before it was supposed to happen, I had a cataract develop, which made it more difficult to image the tumor. Um, we could do ultrasound and that was considered sufficient. Uh, but that gave me just another layer of extra anxiety. Um, in this time in 2022, my eyes started to look really, really crappy in my opinion. And I just started feeling like, okay, you know what? I feel like I've grieved the loss of this eye long enough. Like I should just let it go. And so I was to that point. Um, but then I had the lucky fortune of, uh, dealing with liver mets and dealing with that from basically August until November when I had a liver, uh, surgery and a liver ablation. A few days after that, I had a black spot that had like been showing up kind of basically suddenly from beginning of November to middle of November, it wasn't there. And then it was, and, um, this black spot was, I knew like located really close to where my tumor was and it was alarming. So I ended up back in my ocular oncologist's office. She did some analysis. She did some imaging and she's like, you know, we have to take the eye. And I'm like, okay, like I was kind of expecting that, but why? And she's like, well, the sclera has eroded, basically. It's deteriorated. That's the white part of your eye. And it's exposing what we think is the tumor. That's the black spot. And so it became not just, oh, your, um, your eye is deteriorating. Then she also capped it with, uh, we think the tumor's growing because my last measurement said this, and now it's almost two millimeters bigger. That said... All of that has fast forwarded to, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> Enucleation was a must. Um, I could have maybe chosen it sooner and I kind of wish I had, but I did what I could. And now we're here and I had a really successful enucleation and um, I've had some good things happen since that kind of have made this whirlwind of a roller coaster um, a little more palatable to, to kind of swallow now in, the, in retrospect. <laughs> so um, that's me. Uh, Wendy, your turn. Okay, sorry, I was having mute issues. Um, I'm Wendy. Um, I live up in the Seattle area. I'm originally from Sacramento, California, Clay. Um, so, but now I've been up here for almost 20 years. Um, my journey is is kind of a conglomeration of all of yours. Um, I would I went to get um, just a regular eye checkup in 2017 and. The ophthalmologist was like, hey, has anyone ever told you you have a freckle in your eye? And I said, nope. Um, you know, and she's like, well, let's get a retina specialist to look at it. So I was referred to a retina specialist. 
it was very tiny um and the retina specialist said you know this looks like just a nevus let's monitor it um, so i was monitored for just about 18 months and then it grew <clears throat> and you know they so they said it was time to probably think about doing some treatment again it was really small so in 2000 december 2018 is when i got my official diagnosis of um, ocular melanoma um, i had proton beam therapy um, in at seattle cancer care um, and um, i had that done in february sorry i had that done in february um, of 2019 um, and you know everything was moving along um, they it came back you know low risk everything was just plugging along and then in november about seven months afterwards i had this blood vessel pop up on the front of my eye that was looked to be feeding from um the tumor and so i had um just more tests done and it didn't look like anything was growing the, the tumor had basically shrank my tumor was always relatively flat um, but it had shrunk down under one millimeter so everything looked good so we just we monitored it at very short intervals and then everything looked good so we decided to go about four months and um in june of 2020 i went in for an appointment you know four months later and the tumor had essentially blown up in size and was now considered large um not from a height perspective but from a um, diameter perspective and so um talked about more radiation and um i said i, I like I never worried about the tumor recurring in my eye. In all honesty, I think I'm rare in that case. I never worried about that, um, but now I was going to. So I said, you know, let what can I get a nucleation? Is that an option? And you know, he said, yes, it's absolutely an option. And um, we went. I went forward with the nucleation. And at my follow my first follow up appointment, he said that, you know had he known how large it actually was because part of mine was not pigmented um it was the only option um so my tumor ended up being 22 millimeters in diameter um and but still flat still flat one millimeter in height so um anyway that's my story um i looking back i mean best deci best decision i made um a lot of peace came from it, but I also understand it's a journey for a lot of people. Um, so that's my long story. Sorry if I went over my time. All right. So um, we are picking up just after Wendy's story. And so let's go through a few different questions just to kind of compare our experiences. Um, so Allison, um, you're going to be the first one who gets this question. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through these questions. Everybody gets a turn and then we'll go through the, the next question. Um, so Let's keep these questions kind of precise and succinct since we want to make sure to be, you know, able to respect everybody's time. Uh, but let's go through the first question. So when a nucleation became a reality for you to plan for, uh, how long from the time or the decision you made to have your eye enucleated to the actual surgery date? Did you have to wait for that surgery? It was roughly six weeks because I got my diagnosis on, well, the week before Christmas, mm -hmm. 2021. And I had a nucleation uh, first of February uh, last year, 2022. 
So yeah, it was, it was roughly six weeks. Okay. And for you, just out of curiosity, did that feel fast or slow to you? It's about average for, you know, we have the National Health Service here in England and their cancer care is second to none. Um, and I went to one of the best eye hospitals in London called Moorfields, um, who were and have been absolutely fantastic. And that was a, apparently the only time that they could fit me in. Um, because of the size of the tumour, which I didn't find out till later, um, if they could have done it quicker, they would have. But it was roughly about six weeks. Okay. All right. Um, so, Clay, what about you? What was your timeline from decision to nucleate to actual surgery date? Okay. So, we caught the tumor on New Year's Eve 2021. Mentally, I was already there to take out the eye. That was the first thing that blurted out of my mouth. Hey, if we have to take the eye out, I'll be fine. So, I was already at peace with it. Five days later, we do a thorough examination. He shows me the photos, and and he goes, wow, that's a big tumor. I don't even have to be a doctor to know that's big. And uh, it was like 16 millimeters wide by 7 millimeters deep. Just a perfect circle, just a perfect dome on the ultrasound. It just looks, it's like precision. I had like a perfect dome of a tumor. Or I asked him, how do you know it's cancer? He goes, well, it's, it's leaking fluid. It's um, orange splotching. It's causing retinal detachment. Uh, and then he says, under the high contrast, well, this is like the black and white photo where they put in dye. See how all your veins in your eye are lit up white? And this looks like a cotton ball? Those are all micro blood vessels. Only cancers like that. Because those are all feeding that tumor. I said, okay. And then he explained, and then I got kicked to, uh, he goes, okay, now you're going to go to, you have two choices, UCSF, or you can go to Stanford. I said, Stanford's closer, and I know my insurance covers it. So I got assigned to Maruthian Jaya, who's a big shot ocular oncologist. There's not that many. I go straight to him. He does the same examination, all the photos, all the ultrasound. He shows me the photos. They look the same. And he goes, definitely ocular melanoma. Here's your options. Says uh, we can uh, do brachytherapy. That's where we sew a radioactive disc to the back ear to the back of your tumor. Because of the location of your tumor, we might have to temporarily disconnect the rectus muscles so we can roll the eye. He goes because of the size of your tumor, because of your retinal detachment, because of the location less than five millimeters from the center of vision you probably will never be able to even read the headline of a newspaper. You're going to be kind of functionally blind. I said, what's the other option? He goes, well, we can just take it out and you'll be done with it. I said, well, that's easy. Take that sucker out. He goes, I, I just want to live and get on with my life. And he goes, hallelujah. He literally said that. So he, he had in his mind what was the right choice. So I booked it for about a month later. So that was the closest I could get in February 22nd, 2022. Okay, so about a month. So I had, yes. So this is what I did though. I said, okay, I have a very active lifestyle. I surf at night every day. I'm a photographer. I said, I have one month to train. So I actually put on an eye patch, start wearing it to practice. And then I got swim goggles and blackened out the left frame and went surfing at night with swim goggles with my left. Because I had to find out. Found out I could do everything, no problem. So I'm like, by the when it came time for nucleation, 
I was 100% there. I mean, I had like, I was like, it couldn't happen sooner. And then when I woke up from surgery, I went, yep, this is, looks exactly how it was when yeah, I had my patch. I already planned for this. <laughs> and I was great. And I was so, and then once I learned more about all the side effects of getting radiation, I was like, I was even doubly sure I did the right decision because I'm class two prime positive means 78%, 72% chance of metastasization in the next five years. So I'm like, probably liver mets is in my future. I want a clean break, perfect health, all the way to getting liver cancer. I don't want Avastin shots. I don't want the visits. So it fit my lifestyle too. I didn't, glad the tumor's gone. And it fit my lifestyle because I wanted to take advantage of that post-enucleation pre-METS moment with no doctor's visits, no drugs, no shots. I'm so glad I did because I got METS September 27th. So I had nine months of a honeymoon and I'm so glad I did yeah. that. I, this is never a problem. Yeah, well, that's, it's yeah, easy. like you said, it, it, it simplifies a lot of things. Um, it's really yeah. simplifies things. So for you, it was about roughly a month, basically, from diagnosis to enucleation. Maybe a tiny bit more. Yeah, like like officially, if you went official, official diagnosis, that was January 5th. That was confirmed two weeks later and then February 22nd. Okay. So really 22nd, three weeks, yeah, six weeks-ish. Okay. Six, six weeks yeah, okay. So, yeah. and you had a massive tumor. Enucleation was your primary, like treatment option you were you were like oh, this yeah. is what i'm doing you there was no question of 100%. anything so okay wendy what was it like for you coming back into okay your tumor was regrowing and you now were choosing enucleation over doing radiation again um for me it was i i have some like hindsight of what what i did so for me it was 2020 you know we're in the like the early stages of the pandemic and I love the summer. Um, and I, you know, I was diagnosed on June 20th. I did not have my eye removed until August 31st. Um, fully my choice. Um, my oncologist, my ocular oncologist was actually like, oh, you know, we should probably do it, you know, early July. And I just said, no, like, I want to enjoy my summer. Like, I don't know what this means for my future. Um, it's been a really weird year and I just want to enjoy my summer. I want to go paddle boarding. I want to do all the things outside that had I had my eye removed, it doesn't prevent me from doing those things. I didn't know that at the time, um, but also I knew I wasn't going to be able to just go right back into the water and do all the things. So for me, it was about two months um again my choice hindsight i probably you know like would have done it a little sooner um you know knowing what i know about the two you know when you when you get a nucleation that's one of the nice things you get the full pathology of all of the things that make up your your tumor that you don't you don't get all of that information with you know with radiation options um you get you know your castle or if you have a genetics but you don't get the actual details of what the cells are doing um so but anyway it i had a great summer i had an amazing summer in the middle of a pandemic 
So no, I think that's amazing, and I think that's yeah. I think it's really powerful for us to be able to compare this and to see that okay. Clay was voluntary. Allison was also voluntary. Their timeline still was a little bit extended, either due to scheduling or just whatever. And then Wendy, you've got, you were having tumor regrowth, confirmed regrow, and you still were like, but I don't want this to take over my life. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. And you're still okay today. Like, I think I, I forgot to tell my part of it, but like, I actually really I mean, I had November 21st was when I found out that potentially this tumor was growing again. That was the only information before pathology that we had at the time was that we thought it was active and we thought it was really growing. Um, still no, that's a little ambiguous still. Like we don't know for sure, like if it actually had grown or if it was just swelling from this blood vessel being necrotic. Um, but I ended up having this black spot that was really alarming to all of my doctors. Like, I mean, I had no, no joke. I had like, like brain MRI and eye MRI, like the orbital MRI, where they're telling you, okay, we just have to make sure this hasn't gone like other places. We'd have to check and make sure it, it didn't travel like it's not supposed to, but we have to check and make sure. And that was super scary. But from time of like the day that I found out to then, um, to then when I actually had a nucleation, didn't feel fast enough, let me tell you, like, because I had a massive tumor and I also already had liver mets and I was like, get this thing out of my face, like as fast as you can. It was the holidays. It was right after, or no, right before Thanksgiving. And then I had it out by December 9th. So it was actually less than three weeks. It was like two and a half weeks. Um, in retrospect, now hearing lots of your guys' stories, I'm like, wow, I pulled some strings because that was really fast. Um, and it was also still within a month of me having already had liver surgery and, and having laparoscopic surgery to have this ablation done to my liver. So like it really was fast. Um, but I mean, I, I am glad that it happened as quickly as it did because there's, you know, my, my doctors all kind of have talked amongst themselves and they're like, you know, our best surmise, I guess, or our best guess is that we got this tumor out right before it started to actually be active again because of what the pathology showed. Um, but I ended up, you know, in surgery as quickly as I could. And I actually saw two different doctors and was debating between one and the other and ended up back with the one that I almost went with in March of 2021 when I was considering a nucleation, like just because my tumor was, was making me scared all the time. Um, so that was, that was my timeline was two weeks. It's really, it's really kind of crazy hearing all of the differences here. Um, because it feels, it feels very like on some level, I think when you first get diagnosed, it feels very, um, like urgent. Like, can we just, can we just get it out? <laughs> I think too, Danae, um, you know, something that I, for newly diagnosed um, patients is we all expect things to go at a very fast pace, um, you know, it, because that's what you see in TV or the movies. And yes. <laughs> the reality is it, it's not fast, you know, like it, it does take time and the medical system. It's normal. Is very slow. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but like in the U S it is, you know, red tape, insurance, pre, you know, prior authorizations. And yes, things can move fast, but also recognizing that internally we're like, we just want something done and that time moves slower because of that mm -hmm. on top of it actually taking No, longer, that's, so. that's such a good point. Um, yeah. Okay. This was fun. Um, okay. So let's talk about pain. Let's talk about like 
like some kind of differences in the actual procedure of the day of surgery. So a couple of the questions that I want you guys to think about. Um, what was your level of pain the day of procedure? Let's just everybody go around in a circle and let's just give a you know day of procedure when you came home or maybe maybe let's say within the first five days, like just rank your pain on a, on a pain scale. And, um, and then did you have pain reliever? Like that was prescribed prescription pain reliever. Okay. So Allison, you're up first <laughs> level um, of pain one to 10, 10 being really high. I've got to say, and from what I've gathered from speaking to other people, I was very lucky that I hardly had any pain. The only pain I actually had was when you move your your remaining eye. Um, I was given um, drugs when I left the hospital, which I didn't use, and I found just taking normal paracetamol was fine. Uh, yeah, during the first five days, I think I was very lucky that, yeah, on a one scale of one to 10, four, if that. So yeah, okay. very lucky. All right, Clay, what about you? Um, The day of? That's the honeymoon because you're, I came out of surgery and I feel freaking yes, amazing. Yes, that's true. And uh, the anesthesiologist did a great job because I explained that my body has a harder time breaking down some of the anesthesia components. Mm. And so don't overduce me. So they brought me out. I was like, okay, let's go grab my stuff. And I was into the car and I'm like, let's go home and eat. And I felt amazing and uh, I went to bed and then I woke up at midnight, took a walk around the neighborhood, had a sandwich and a glass of milk, you know, cause your feet, your heat, you're fasted, you know, your everything's thrown off. Then no swelling either. I woke up the next day and I was like, I, I was like, oh, I had a patch okay. on, so I couldn't see, right? You just had, you had the, the bandage. I was back, so my surgery was in the afternoon. I was back with my ocular oncologist who took out my eyeball nine o'clock in the morning and he takes off the bandage like that. And he goes, okay, look up, look down, look right. Let's go say, he goes, motions to my partner. Look, it's moving already. Great. <laughs> look at that. looks fantastic. I had like no swelling, no bruising. I was still in that honeymoon period. The first, the, the, the first full day after that's when the meds wear off and pain was maybe, I don't know. I've had, I've experienced, 10, 9 to 10. This was maybe a 5-ish. It was enough to give me um, disrupted sleep for five okay. nights. And I was just taking Tylenol, right? You just, you would, it would mainly like, what would really get your attention? What is looking mm -hmm. to like, without moving your head, you'd be like, ah, you'd feel a little tugging pain. And then anytime you look down, you learn to do your whole life upright for the first week. You like bend down. Like your posture is fantastic. <laughs> bend at the knees, right? You don't look at yourself going to the bathroom. You don't look down at all, because when you look down, it feels like your eyeball, which isn't even there, is going to explode. It just feels like it's going to explode yeah. out of your head. So the biofeedback's instant. So you just learn not to do those things. By the sixth night, it was like, yeah, crossed over, and it was fine. So the first five days, a little rough sleeping, Tylenol. Um, I hardly had any swelling or bruising. It actually looked really good right off the bat. And within one to two weeks, it looked fantastic. That's awesome. All right. Um, so my situation, I had the enucleation um, done kind of, you know, in the morning and I ended up home. Everything went really well. Um, some of the things went better than expected, but um, my level of pain when I first woke up, 
I would say it was pretty negligible again, just because you're on all of the stuff that they give you in anesthesia. And um, by the time I got home though, probably about 10 o'clock at night, um, the pain medication that they had prescribed, uh, I think I had like, I think I had Percocet and I had Tylenol with codeine to decide between. And, um, and I was taking those because I, I just, I had just come out of another surgery. So like I was already a little bit more sensitive to some of the pain because of laparoscopic surgery, which by the way, lots of trapped air pain, not fun. Um, but my pain level, I would say for probably the first, first, maybe not the first day, but like day two, three, four, and maybe five was, it was enough that if I didn't take pain medication, I was, I mean, I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't hardly do anything. Like I could, I couldn't move and everything really hurt. Um, I ended up getting prescribed like tramadol because I was, I mean, I was like in so much pain that it was making me feel like I was going to throw up. Um, and I also had a lot of nausea from just the muscles being cut. So for retrospect, I had brachytherapy and because my brachytherapy happened at the front of my eye, my muscles were never cut. So like I never experienced that, you know, double vision or nausea that you feel when you have those muscles cut. And my doctor had told me like, it's really important that you don't puke. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you can tell me. Now I just feel like I'm going to puke. Um, I don't, I don't remember if I threw up with that surgery. I know I did after the, after the liver surgery, but I was really worried about nausea. Um, and I had the pressurized patch on as well, for sure. And that pressurized patch, I think helped some, but it was still like, again, like you guys have all said, like the moving and the looking and any, any movement. Like I, I swear I basically slept for like day two, day three, maybe most of day four, because I was just that exhausted. Um, and, and the times that I did wake up, it hurt enough. Like, I guess I would, I would put it at like somewhere like a seven to an, an eight or nine, depending on when it was. Once I got the pain figured out and the pain management, um, then I was okay. But I hated taking the pain medication because I already like, I already had liver meds. I'm like, I don't want more crap in my system. I don't want more stuff that I don't have to take, but it became very like, I need to be able to rest. And so I took, I took it because I needed to be able to rest. Um, okay. So Wendy, what about you? Level of pain, day of procedure, yeah. pain stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So mine, um, again, I actually was in a lot of pain. Um, I woke up in a lot of pain. Um, my, because of, because of my prior treatment, um, and I, my body just creates a lot of scar tissue. So I had a lot of scar tissue. And so it was actually really hard to get my eye out. Um, and so he said, originally when I went in, I had said, hey, um, if I get prescribed a, you know, like a narcotic or, you know, prescription medication, I need it in liquid form um, because that's how I have to take my medicine. And he's like, oh, I don't do, you know, pain meds. Tylenol will be enough. And then when I woke up I, and I don't really remember the, I don't really remember the first day other than that, that I was in a lot of pain. Um, when I woke up, I had a pain, a, a prescription. And so um, I stayed on top of that, but I was still, honestly, the first day and the first two days, my pain was a 10. Like it was, it was really rough. Um, I did get sick several times because the pain was so much. Um, but here's the crazy thing is, I remember telling my mom who was at my house with me, I said, this is the worst pain I've ever felt. <laughs> But then by day three for me, it's like the pain just lifted. And when I look back cumulatively, it was still one of the easiest surgeries I've ever had um, when even relating to pain. Um, so, you know, 
like you guys all talked about, like the muscles, I think that was actually what was causing me the most pain and the most nausea was that I, um, was that that pain, if I moved my eye even a little bit, it was just the muscle being cut was just so painful. Yeah. So, but again, by night five, totally fine. Um, I did, I had a lot of bruising, mm. like it came down like to right here in my face. Um, and that's not, that's not super common. Um, and yeah, I saw your, you, you sent know. me so a anyway, picture and I, and I was like, Oh man, yeah. ouch. Yeah. And when I went back, funny thing about that, when I went in for my follow-up, my oncologist is like, did I, is that from the surgery? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, like, what else I didn't would it be from? Any... Somebody whacked I, me in I the eye socket. Like, like, I didn't no. go get in a, I didn't go get in a fight. I'm like, yes, this is, you did this to me. Um, I did also have a pressure patch um, that I removed after 24 hours. So my oncologist has you wear a pressure patch for 24 hours. Okay, and that's actually, let's talk about that real quick. Real quick. Um, Who wore a pressure patch? I had a pressure patch and for how long? Just let's just say it real fast. So I had had a pressure patch. I had to wear it for a minimum of five days. So I saw her on, I guess it was technically four and a half, but I got it on Friday and I took it off on Tuesday or she took it off actually. Um, and that was the follow-up appointment right after surgery. So, um, that was me, Allison. Sorry, I went out of order. That's all right. Um, yeah, I had it on for 24 hours. I was kept in overnight in hospital, okay. uh, only for the simple reason when I came round from having, cause I was put under general anesthetic. Um, only for the simple reason when I came round, uh, my blood pressure had shot through the roof and I don't mm. suffer with high blood pressure. Um, so yeah, I had it on for 24 hours. Okay, Clay. I don't know what I had. It looked I mean, it was, like uh, a metal honey. It looked like um, it looked like a drain cover. It was a it was a metal oval, and it had a bunch of holes in it, and it was just kind of taped onto my okay. face. And he just peeled it right off. I don't think I had a okay. pressure patch. Yeah, or anything. so the pressure patch basically is like it's almost like they patch it, and then they like double patch it, and they like suction the tape on really good, and I think they suck the air out, like. They like suck some of the air out yeah, to like really I didn't, keep I, it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have anything okay. like that. I just had a, I think the metal was there just to stop yeah. anything from yeah, hitting sure. it. Like actually puncturing okay. the eye. Um, so, all right, yeah. let's talk about aftercare. Like, okay, so we, we've kind of all, I think we can all agree. Maybe the first five days was probably about the roughest, which is generally what I've heard across yes. the board. The more people I've talked to, it's, yeah. it's about you hit day five and then your pain drops and for the yep. most part, it stays lower. Um, I think for me, I had some kind of waves here and there in the next couple of weeks where like it would get a little worse if I would do more movement or more driving or just any activity that required more movement. But for the most part, got better after that. Um, did your doctor tell you to do anything specific like like sleep elevated or take, um, like I know, like just for me, I'll just tell what, what my doctor told me that helped, I feel like, with the swelling and with pain relieving um, and things like that. She told me to sleep in an elevated position. So I slept on a wedge pillow for basically two weeks. Uh, she gave me an erythromycin. I'm saying that wrong. Guys, all the medical terms I say all the time and I can't say my medical name for my, my eye ointment. Um, but it's that eye ointment that you put in that's like antibiotic. Yeah, yeah. So she told me to start putting that in as soon as um, she unstitched the eyelid. And then she told me to take Arnica. 
So that was like a big thing for her. She's a plastic surgeon and she was like, you have to take Arnica. It will help with bruising. It will help with swelling. And when she took off my patch on five days, I had like a tiny, tiny little bit of like some redness under here that maybe was some residual bruising, but I had like zero bruising at all. She was astounded. She's like, I, like, I should see something, but there's nothing. Um, but I was, I was eating Arnica like candy, just full disclosure. Um, so that was what it was kind of, those are the things that helped me for the most part, other than just sleep and taking pain medication. So did you guys find anything that helped in recovery for the first maybe week or so? Um, Allison, go ahead. Um, no, I mean, um, when I got discharged the following day, I was just told by the nurse, don't bend over, don't bend down. Um, I was given um, antibiotics orally and for my eye, which to begin with, I would not even look at myself in the mirror. My husband and my daughter had to put the eye drops in for me because it just made me feel so sick. Um, but yeah, by day six, I'd look like I'd gone five rounds with Mike Tyson. The, the bruising was down to my jawline and yeah, it was horrendous. But yeah, they, she basically said, don't bend over, don't bend down. Basically, anything where you're going to be putting pressure, where your head's going to don't do anything like that. Yeah. And also, because I had a general anaesthetic, it took about a week for, for my system to get back to normal. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and I was also told activity level-wise, I couldn't do anything to get my heart rate up and sweat. Like, anything that would cause eye pressure, ocular pressure, she didn't want any of that. So I was restricted from working out for at least two weeks. Um, Clay, what about you? Anything that helped? Anything the doctor told you to do or not do? I, I know for you, you had some specific things. Yeah. I have some, I'm very specific because doctors figure out very quick that one, I'm like a dream patient. I will follow the instructions. Anything that's going to help accelerate, I'm doing it to the T. If you tell me to ice five times a day, at least I will do it like that. So I'm highly motivated because I want to go back to surfing. So... On the first week, on my, so I have the day after, takes off the patch, looks great. Come back a week later, he goes, wow, healing is going great. You're like week two or three already. This is amazing how it looks. I said, no, I feel great. Can I work out? He's like, no, 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 no. He goes, I took great pains to cauterize all those blood vessels, right, to just do this pristine. Don't mess up my work. I said, well, what, what can I do? And he goes, you can take walks and things like that. So I was right away the first, I mean, I was walking around at midnight after my surgery, and then I would take walks along the beach and things like that. Had to stay active. Um, I would occasionally just ice it. That actually felt good. I would just, uh, the, the socket would feel kind of hot, and I'd ice it, and I'm like, oh, that feels good. Um, basically, my doctor knew I was healing fast. I was highly motivated. I'm very physically active. So he kind of catered things down to my level. He let me work out. He goes, you could, at, I think at week three, for sure, I could work out with weights. He goes, don't try to break a record. He goes, I'm not stupid. He goes, oh, he goes but no push-ups, no, nothing where you look down. Pull-ups, fine, everything. I say, great. Week four, I was able to do push-ups. At week four, I'm like, can I surf now? I'm ready. I've been ready for, I've been ready week three. And he goes, no, because only because of infection. Because I'm just, you're going to be jumping in the ocean. And if this gets infected and it gets into your orbital implant and you can't kill that infection, we will have to start over. We are going to take out your orbital implant. You'll have six months of healing. I said, well, I don't want that. 
So I held off another. I'm like, so I, I lifted weights and I climbed stairs with my weight vest. And I did that until I surfed. And then right at six weeks, bam, I was in, in the water. So really just some icing. And there was only one moment where I pushed it too far. I took a walk along the beach on a very windy day. It was cold. By the time I started heading back to my car, it was like a two-mile walk, I started feeling very nauseous and weak. And I, I, think there was only, I think I was only two weeks into the healing at this point. So I went home and I rested and it was fine. It was, went away. I didn't, I didn't do anything. So mine was, I think I, I'm probably not the standard case, like almost no bruising, very little swelling, back to surfing at six weeks, lifting out at three weeks, pain is over at five weeks, um, good movement, uh, no, I, first day in the mirror, I'm like this. Oh, wow, it's amazing. I'm shooting videos and taking, I took pictures every day of my healing process. So I just found it very fascinating and uh, a, a, like a project, right? I had no, I didn't have any of that psychological stuff that most people have. Day one, I was just walking around. I'm like, hey, look, my eye, it's gone. <laughs> no, no, no problems. And then I got my prosthetic and uh, I just stopped wearing it. I haven't worn my prosthetic in months. It's big and bulky. I don't like it. Uh, so I have this $4,000 prosthetic and a little cuff. You, you just, just got to there. keep your eye in a jar. It's just not the one that was surgically removed. Which I'm still miffed about. I know, you told me. Stanford, Stanford would not let me keep my eye. They wouldn't even take a picture oh, of it on yes. the when they took so, it out. No pictures. Ugh. Okay, nothing. so that is something that I was gonna say. Like I, I, I got, got ripped off. I got lucky in the sense that I really pushed my doctor to take a picture. Um, in retrospect, I should have been yeah. more specific. Can you take a clean the eyeball cool. off first picture? Um, because I have since seen an eyeball that was enucleated that was cleaned off, and I'm like, that looks way different than mine did. Mine just looks like a freaking pomegranate on the like the operating yes. table. So if you do want a picture of your enucleated eye. You can ask for it. It is your physical eye. You have ownership of that tissue. Um, it stays your eye even when it goes to a pathology lab and gets you know analyzed. So if you want a picture, yeah. ask for it ahead of time. All of us who didn't get I a did. picture would be mad that we didn't get it, whether we asked or not. Um, but it's, I mean, whether you look at it or want to just show it off or not, it's it's kind of fascinating. Um, and is. and just for the record, I pushed oh, hard early on with my doctor with Stanford, everyone, they said, we just don't do that. <laughs> no video, no photos. Really? Yeah. I mean, you don't do that. You can't just go with a cell phone and take one shot. Nope. So well, I'm still... A little miffed. I'm, I'm, still, I'll, I'll, I'm still a little miffed That's about okay. that. I'm, I'm never getting over it. I'm taking that <laughs> one to my grave. All right. Okay. So Wendy, um, <laughs> Wendy, what about you? Any aftercare, things that you felt like were helpful that you'd pass on? No, I think um, the one one thing I'll call out is, so my um, ocular oncologist sews your eyes shut. Um, you know, and I think that that's, I did not know that. Um, I woke up with my eyes sewn shut. I feel like that's an important thing to know is a possibility because yeah. it freaked me out. Um, but I actually really appreciated it because it kept the conformer in um, so when you have the surgery, you know, they put a, a clear, a little clear disc thing to help keep your eye formed. That's called a conformer. Um, and it, and it kept that from falling out. Um, so for me, it was really just, 
I don't remember getting any specific instructions other than the standard, you know, don't lift more than five pounds, you know, don't bend over a lot. Um, you know, so I just, I just rested. I, I alternated um, ice and warm um, compresses because both felt good to me. Um, and just, I mean, honestly, just took it easy. And I had the, the eye drops and my eye drops went in um, or the antibiotic, antibiotic drops. Yeah. Um, and those went in with my eyes sewn shut and the, it, my surgeon used a, dis, a dissolvable stitch that comes out within like three weeks. Um, and so it just, you just, I was like, how does the, the stuff go in? And he said, oh, it just kind of melts and works. It, it's yeah. That was what my so. surgeon told me too, is that because you know, my eyelid was looped shut once and I was actually, because I had heard from other people like Clay who didn't have their eyelid shut, spoiler alert. Um, like, like they, I had heard from enough people that it was, it was a little bit kind of torn in the community of like, okay, some people, it was helpful. Other people felt like really freaked out and it bothered them a lot. Um, I decided to kind of go with the middle ground and she told me, you know, we're going to loop it shut just to be safe. Cause she was anticipating a pretty heavy fat graft. And then, uh, and then she said, if it starts to bother you, come in and I'll remove it if it's not already out by itself. And I want to say it was, it was within maybe 10 days or so before I took that out. Um, and I had her take the stitch out. And once she took the stitch out, um, I felt, I mean, honestly, it felt really, it was, it was nice because I got to a point where the stitch had felt helpful to keep everything closed so that I didn't have as much movement happening, which was, I think, helpful for the healing for me. But it was also like, it got to a point where it started to kind of pull and tug on the eyelid and it was hurting, like, just not like horribly, but enough that I was like, okay, this is annoying. Get it out. Um, and she was open to as long as everything looked good and it was healing well. She's like, I can take it out whenever you're ready or we just let it dissolve. It's up to you. So I ended up having that stitch dissolved. Um, Allison, did you end up having your eyelid sewn shut at all? No, they don't do that procedure here. It's a pressure patch and then basically let the air get to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't, from what I get, because I am also on, an, on a Facebook group uh, called Ocumel UK, which is Ocumelanoma patients here in the UK. And I've never come across anybody here have that done. Oh, it's crazy because it seems yeah. way common, very common in the States. And then I know, Clay, I feel like you were maybe one of the exceptions because you didn't have it sewn shut, right? No, that would have been really weird. I would have said, take these <laughs> stitches out. I don't know why you're doing this to me. It did. It, to me, just didn't make any sense. I should be using my eyelids and I should be, my eyes should be functioning and should get some air. And of course, I also, this was my first choice, mm. right? I wasn't doing a nucleation on top of an already irradiate, uh, uh, an area that got proton or radiation that already had some damage. I was going from a pristine, good, healthy eye, clean break, out, quick healing. But it seems to be personal preference. It seems like uh, a lot of plastic surgeons like to sew it up. Um, and then there doesn't seem to be any it's, this one's truly seems to be the doctor's yeah, preference. Yeah, it really does. This is how yeah. I do it. I sew your eyes shut. If there doesn't seem to be any justification yeah. either way to not or to. Well, sew and I asked my doctor too. It's just like I was a like, so does is there like a clinical like researched reason why to sew it shut? And she said, no, like I don't feel like it's made a difference either way. Like patients who have it shut, patients who don't have it sewn shut, yeah. they all recover roughly the same. Um, and so that's, you know, just an interesting thing to note is that if you are someone who wants to know that going into this and you're listening to this, ask your doctor, do you sew the eye shut? And yes. if you don't want that done, then you tell them, I don't want it sewn shut. 
And if they don't, if they don't like that idea and it really is a key thing for you, then find another doctor. Um, like, yeah. I think that that's so oh, important. I, I, I want to add something yeah, to ahead. that. Things to ask for. What type of implant oh, am yes. I getting? Let's, let's like cover those right. questions. So I, I got the, uh, the MedPore easy. Um, and it's, it's, it's designed to simulate like natural tissue. So it's porous. Mm. And the idea is your your muscles will revascularize it and your body will absorb it. So I asked my doctor, I said, because there's several implants to choose from. He goes, why are you picking this? And he goes, it seems to have, from my experience, the least amount of complications. I'm like, okay. I got the 22 millimeter, which is like the large size. Um, and then another thing to ask is, this is, I found out, I always read my surgery notes all the time. Because you don't get to told anything. I found out I have donor sclera tissue. So they took my orbital implant and put it inside somebody's sclera. That's the white of your eye. And then wrapped the muscles over the sclera into the front of the orbital implant. So it moves it up and down, right and left. I thought that so was pretty neat. So you have almost like a and I guess eye that's, transplant. Like it's like a part of the eye transplant. I have, like. I have, I have somebody's entire sclera inside. Because if you take this Imagine the sclera is basically everything up to the mm -hmm. iris. So it's like a cup with a little yeah. hole. My orbital implant is in that and the muscles go over it. I didn't ask him specifically why, but the logic is obvious. Now the muscles are going over human mm -hmm. tissue and not over the, yeah. the implant. But I thought that was pretty brilliant. So you might want to ask like, what type of implant I'm going to get? Why are you choosing this? Am I going to get donor sclera tissue? Why and why not? And then are you sewing my eye shot? Why or not? And if you have an option, choose which you'd be more comfortable mm -hmm. with. Uh, because if they're, not, if they're not married to it and there's no reason, you might want to go, I'd like to see my my eye. And Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Anybody oh, have sorry. any other questions? I feel like that covered a lot. Yeah. I was just going to add, I also had, I also had donor sclera tissue. Um, I knew that going, that was one of the things that was shared with me um, ahead of time was that I was going to be receiving donor tissue. Um, I didn't, you know, it's funny. I didn't ever think to ask what type of implant. I don't even know that I really realized there were different types back when I was having it done. Um, and so that's not something I thought to ask, which is really funny because I ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I, I too had, <laughs> I too had sclera tissue. Okay. Allison, what about you? Did you, do you have anything else you'd add as far as questions to ask? No, no. I mean, for my, um, my prosthetic, it's made of acrylic. Mm -hmm. Um, fields have at the moment a, um, scientific study where as long as you've had a prosthetic for a year, uh, if you're not getting on with it or you want to try it, you can go in for their 3D um, mold study. Um, oh. And I have had, not problems, but whether or not I've got an allergy to it, but my eyelid has every now and again becomes very, very itchy. Mm. Um, but I'm not due for what they call a polish until about June time. So if the, if the trial was still going ahead, I might go for the 3D trial. Yeah, but that's interesting. We're quite lucky here where all our prosthetics are free, free of charge. Mm. So I am quite lucky in that respect. All right. Well, to end, let's let's cover the final question of um, 
I think one of the questions that I feel like pretty much everyone who I've talked to who has their eye removed or who is going to have their eye removed through a nucleation wants to know is, well, how, how, like, A, am I going to get a new eye? And B, like, how long do I have to wait? And obviously, I think that varies. It varies from person to person. It varies because of the surgery and the type of kind of everything that happened. Everybody's situation is going to be unique. So that's something to keep in mind. But for you guys, um, Allison, how soon after nucleation were you able to meet with an ocularist and get fit for a prosthetic, like roughly? So roughly it was six to eight weeks because mm-hmm. um, I like your socket to settle down and everything. Uh, once you get to see the ocularist here, um, he checks that your socket is healed well. Um, I was then given a temporary eye out of stock that they hold. I mean, the temporary eye was absolutely fantastic. So I thought if the temporary eye is good, the real one's going to be even better. And then it was another four to six weeks after that, that I got my actual prosthetic that I'm wearing now. And I've got to say the day he put it in, I, I got very emotional. It was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm human again. It's me again. But yeah, I've got to say more fields, their ocularist, their ocu- uh, ocularist department and their ocularists are outstanding. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love it. And honestly, I would love to, I'm going to have to do this another time. It's just maybe we'll do an ocularist panel. We'll talk about the process of like watching your prosthetic get made if you got to watch that. Um, but because I don't have the time to cover that today, so let's just chat timeline. You know, how soon after a nucleation, uh, Clay, were you able to meet with that ocularist? I think I met with them at week four, three or four, just as like an introduction. And he looked at my conformer and he goes, your conformer is too big. It's going to stretch out your eyelids a little too much. Let's swap it out. <laughs> and, and he goes, uh, he had a giant jar. He has a big jar, just like a like hundred little, and he picks one out and goes, that looks the same. That looks good. And it's in antiseptic. But he says, puts it in. And he goes, how's that feel? I'm like, oh, that's a little less pinching. It feels feels nice. So he goes, okay, there you go. And then I came in, I could have came in at week six, but he says, you know, there's no huge rush because actually longer you wait is kind of better. Your socket settles down. So there's no big rush. So I think at week eight, it was like April 24th or something, three-day process. First day is making the mold, which is they just literally put quick drying plaster in there. It takes about 30 seconds. They take it out, make the mold. First day is roughing out the the prosthetic, get the basics down, puts it in, make sure I'm looking straight ahead. Next day is sit down for like two and a half hours where he paints it live right there in front of me. What's up like that? Third day, final fitting and like, what do you think? Uh, like you, Allison, it's funny. I'm very comfortable, obviously, being one-eyed. I have no shame. I have no. It doesn't. I'm not self-conscious about it. I accepted this identity right away. The doctor never let me see the prosthetic as he was working on it in my eye. He goes, "Can I look in the mirror?" He goes, "No." He wanted to wait till the moment of. So he puts it in, and I look in the mirror. It was like seeing a ghost or like a memory of myself or like time traveled. It was so realistic and so shocking. I was both. Uh, kind of a very emotional and I was actually kind of disturbed as well as like elated. I was both like, could not believe how realistic yeah. it looked, but at the same time it was kind of disturbing because I was going, I had made a lot of progress with accepting my eye. Now I'm seeing myself, how I remember myself, 
and it's not real. And that whole day, I just kept looking in the mirror. I was like, what the fuck? I was just, I just, it was so hard to process who is this guy in the mirror. And then um, over time, see, I surf every day. So even if I wore my prosthetic every day, it's got to come out at night, go to sleep. I go surf first thing in the morning, work out. Then I would put it on after breakfast. So it was only going to be in from like nine to five every day it's anyway. Day. <laughs> so I got used to this dual look. Right, I put in my eye now, and it's like, well, that's cool. It looks pretty real. And if I take it out, I'm like, oh, that's me too. So I have a dual identity, where they're both both looks are fine with me. It's just I don't like the extra tearing I get. My eye tears up more, and it just and I have a really big head, so my prosthetic is about a quarter inch thick. It's ridiculous. It feels like I just have a big marble in my eye. So I've just gotten out of the habit of wearing it, and I just want a blue. I would just like a, a, a baby. I would just like a blue uh, performer, <laughs> just like my just Moody, bl solid right blue. There. Yeah, just like something yeah, decorative. That would be fun, rather yeah. than this flesh yeah. look. Well, okay, so um, I actually get to kind of skip this. I have a date set, and it's for roughly eight weeks after my surgery, but I have not met with the ocularist yet. Um, so I will skip this because it's it's kind of a like I'm meeting them for the first time to basically evaluate: Am I ready to be fit for a prosthetic, or do we need to wait longer? Um, I'm I have anticipated in my brain potentially having to wait longer just because I did have brachytherapy done um, back two and a half years ago, and that can sometimes affect you know another like I think Wendy you told me that that it can sometimes take a little longer, but. I'm fully prepared to wait longer if needed. <laughs> I was actually prepared to wait as long as like back to like November if I needed to, just because of some other stuff that was supposed to happen that I now don't have to have, um, which I'm excited about. So, um, Wendy, what about you? How long was it before you met with them? Um, so I met, I actually went to see my ocularist at my, at two weeks. Um, just so they, and this is, this is more just a personal thing. I had reached out to them you know, beforehand to like, just kind of understand the process. And they're like, Oh, well, since you're calling, we, you know, we do like if possible for patients to come in a couple weeks after just so we can check the healing, see if the conformer that was put in during surgery is the right fit. Um, and so I did get uh, like clay, I got an, a different conformer put in. And that is, um, I had them clip my stitch at that point, because I was to where it was like pulling on my eyelid. And I was like, can you just stitch, clip the stitch? And he's like, oh, he's like, I don't know if I want to do that. And I'm like, I'm like, I want you to do it. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't, I'll just take the scissors and clip it myself. And so he clipped that for me. Um, and then I went back in. I went in at six weeks, um, which in all honesty, it was really too soon. Um, and I wanted my mom to, to go to be there with me to like kind of experience the process because, again, it's done over three days um and i wanted her to go with me before she went home and you know my my eye looked like it was healed pretty well like but i still did have a lot of underlying inflammation and so for me um you know when they put my prosthetic in it didn't move at all which was actually probably one of the hardest moments of this journey is that it didn't move um, they weren't sure if it was from the swelling or from damage from the radiation. Um, and it just, I had to get my prosthetic, I had to have like four different adjustments done on my prosthetic within the first six months. So 
I always recommend to people that I talk to, and I know I recommended this to Danae, wait as long as you can, at least two months. My friends that have waited until the three month mark seem to have no problems. Um, you know, I, I, I finally am good. My eye moves um, and, you know, it came around, but it, it took a little bit longer um, because I got my prosthetic so early. So um, I always recommend just, just waiting a, as long as you can. There's no harm in letting your socket heal a little bit more yeah, for sure. um, if you can handle it. And I will also say that Danae, when you joined, you know, our community, um, and you were wearing these adorable patches. Which they're um, so fun, but I also, I feel like the, clay too, that I don't have to wear it. It's like. You you don't have to wear it, but it's nice to have something to wear. And what people will find out is you'll think, oh, I'm going to wear all these cute eye patches and things like that. You don't really, you, you really just want to be you. And your, most of your doctor, your oncologist, your ocularist will not want you to wear a patch unless it's a breathable patch and the patches like the one that Danae is wearing is breathable. Yeah, it's like a band-aid almost, like uh, a breathable band-aid. It, yeah, so it, when you, that changed my life for when I need to wear a patch. Um, I have very sensitive um, tissue. I have a lot of allergies. I frequently have random things happen where I have to take my prosthetic out. Um, the more you take your prosthetic out, it, it takes a while to build up the oils on on the prosthetic. So if you're constantly taking out, it never allows the, those oils to build up. Um, and so it can be a little more dry and get irritated. Mm, that's um, good to know. So, yeah. So anyway, it I know that's no, not on okay. our agenda. But, <laughs> totally fine. But it's, I mean, it is it is a, a, a thing. And I will also add for anyone who's getting a prosthetic, um, talk to your ocularist because um, I'm actually surprised at how many don't offer this. There are um, some oils that you can put on your prosthetic to help with like lubrication. Yeah. Um, there's a natural vitamin E type and then there's also another type called Sil Opto. Um, and so life-changing for a lot of people that didn't know yeah. about it. Well, and, and another, so. I mean, just as, you know, as you mentioned the patch, I wear the patch right now because I'm still so like, I'm still within about eight. I, mean, I don't even think I'm past yeah. maybe five weeks of surgery or maybe six. And so sometimes things ache if I'm moving. Like yesterday I did a lot of driving. So today yeah. I'm just letting my eye rest. And like when I was at Harry Potter World, it was like, that's too much. I'm going to patch that. And I also didn't want to get random yeah. crap in my eye, like from a different place. Um, anyway, yeah. well, guys, this has been so fun. Um, it did end up taking a little bit longer than I thought it would. But hey, yeah. there's a first time for everything. So yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully this and our part two of this, when we have the other set of people come on and talk about their experience, hopefully this will just be helpful and just and help people see that like there are really lots of different possibilities and you get to ask questions now that you have some more information, hopefully. Um, so let's go ahead and say goodbye. Everybody say bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. All right, bye guys. Thank you again bye. for being here. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter 
at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.